Hi, it's Ethan Hayter and you're listening to Quick Link Podcast. Hello again, Quick Linkers. Tom here, back for our final interview before the British Hill Climbing Championships this Sunday. Hope I can see some of you bright and early on the day. If you need to find me, I'll be the one walking around, shoving my phone underneath various people's noses, asking them to tell me how much pain they were in as they tackled Winnet's Pass. This final installment is a chat with former British Hill Climbing champion Ed Lavrak. After COVID lockdown rules prevented him from defending his title in 2020, Ed has been documenting his build-up to this year's championship on his YouTube channel, with regular vlogs about his preparation and the build-up to race day. We caught up with Ed recently about how he planned to prepare for the championships, but also chatted about his content creation and why he decided to move away from the professional cycling scene in the UK into the realms of content creation. So let's jump straight into it. Ed, pro cyclist that's turned content creator and obviously a bit of a hill climb specialist. In the lead up to the national championships, obviously wanted to speak to you as one of the top competitors for the title. But before, I thought we'd have a chat about how how your place is within cycling because it's a little bit unusual now, I would say, compared to the normal. So for people who may not know, how would you describe exactly it is what you do? Um... Well, um, yeah, it is a bit of a difficult one to explain, I guess. I mean, um, I mean, the long and short of it is, is I still ride my bike as much as I did when I was racing full time, uh, as a pro, uh, if you'd call it in the UK. Uh, but I was very lucky to race around the world at the time, um, for what was then JLT condo. Um, but, um, but yeah, I would, I would still say that, Riding my bike is very much at kind of the forefront of what I do. Um, and then the kind of content creation or the social media side or the YouTube side um, kind of uh, circles that in a sense. So I, I don't see it as much uh, anything fancy. I just see it as, as a way of a bit of a creative outlet. Um, scratching my own itch it was... was the reason I started, um, just to just to showcase what I was doing first and foremost when I was racing for teams, uh, and now it's kind of transitioned into this where where I'm kind of dabbling in a bit of um, I guess uh, a little bit of racing hill climbs and and trying to branch into other sorts of stuff as well. For people who may not know, you're obviously creating that content when you were sort of racing professionally. And then it was sort of during the pandemic last year that you took that step to step away from the pro scene into your your own thing, really. So what was it that drove you to do that? Had you become a bit disillusioned with pro cycling or you know, was there other reasons why you decided to take that step in a different direction? Um, it's, it's quite a deep question and uh, there's, there's lots of answers to it. Uh, there's definitely not one reason. Um, I'm sure those, those that are listening or watching who, uh, who kind of follow the UK cycling scene quite closely then, I think they'll, they'll understand that for a couple of years now, um, the road has been kind of rocky uh, and sponsorship has been quite like uh, hit and miss 
uh, and doesn't have that longevity to it. Um, and, and it really hit home. I mean, I was racing for a team that was, you know, I, I probably, I can say it because I raced for them, but they were one of the most successful British teams ever. Um, once known as Rafa Condo and then turned into GLT Condo. Um, we had some of the best riders in the UK. Uh, we had some great sponsorship and backing. Um, we even got a, a great contract with one main sponsor that allowed us to be quite secure for three years. Uh, but funny enough, when, when that kind of came to an end, um, it almost sparked this, this, this um, bizarre time that we went through where lots of riders were scrambling for contracts all at the same time. Uh, and this was, this was late 2018. Funny enough, I had my best season ever. And I was actually, I kind of actually progressed in the team. It had taken me almost six or seven years to progress to a point where I could actually potentially lead the team at the Tour of Japan. And we went and did the Tour de Beauce in Canada um, as well. Uh, and then things, things took a, a turn for the worse in late 2018, 2019. I managed to pick up a contract with uh, Swift Pro Carbon. Um, but I realized from being part of that system for so long with, with GLT Condo and having the same manager and having roughly the same kind of staff mechanics and riders as well. I saw a lot of riders come and go, but I realized that I had it so good there. Um, and the staff was so good. The mentorship was so good. I learned a heck of a lot and I raced like in places I'd never abandoned. But when I left, I realized how good I had it and then I also realized that it was a hard place to be um, when you're kind of left end to fight for not the scraps because um, of a lot of riders they've got great contracts from there were able to jump ship really quickly when the team um, when the team folded sadly but when the pandemic hit um, I was actually in Cardiff at the time. My other half, Charlie, was finishing her studies in Cardiff Uni. Uh, and so the weekend lockdown uh, number one came. Uh, I, I took everything up there, um, including my, my Wahoo kicker, uh, my whole indoor setup, because I was, I was planning for the worst. And I spent the next three or four months then indoors, just racing on Swift, live streaming. And that's where it kind of, um, things spiraled a little bit with the YouTube and obviously people could see my power numbers and everything because you can't really hide stuff when you're, when you're live streaming and doing stuff like that. Um, and because I had so much time then, I was doing more vlogs or videos and stuff and things just, but I realized that even when stuff actually seemed like it was getting worse, things were getting better um, because I, I was able to, not only rode my bike as I would, but I was able to do this at the side. And it, and it started to bring things like, you know, brands and awareness and a message. And it started to bring these things. And I, I, and I sat back and I was thinking to myself, it must have been late June, July. And I was with St. Piran at that point. I hadn't even raced with them. I'd signed with them early in the year, but I hadn't raced with them because of, um, because of the pandemic. And I thought to myself, um, do I actually need to race for a team? Uh, I'm inspired in some way by Lachlan Morton doing the things that he's been doing, um, seeing the messages he's been getting, the inspiration from that. And then Phil Guyman is kind of, it comes into that equation as well. In fact, there's lots of people that come into that equation. Um, but 
yeah, it just it pushed me to make that. You know, the community as well was a big part in it. They they pushed me both online and the offline community that I call my the cycling club and everything that I'm still with locally. It all kind of pushed for that that change. You've managed to do quite a few different things already, and you know, different little mini series. And I urge anybody listening that if they haven't to go check out your YouTube page and ha- have a watch. But is there any one series or one particular piece that you're particularly proud of, or you, you feel like it's your best work yet, or do you feel like you're still finding your feet? You still got bigger things to come, and what what are your your big plans for for? I suppose your your channel and your, your content. Well, the at the beginning, I had I had lots of big plans, uh, and um, as lots of us did when we thought, you know, it was just a matter of like sitting tight for a couple of weeks, and we'd be out to be able to travel and do everything else. Um, and of course, you know, that, in fact, it became more difficult to do it as an individual than it did if you were part of a team. So that was one downside <laughs> of me leaving that kind of setup because you didn't have the comfort of being part of like a, a professional or elite level setup. You couldn't actually say that, that it was your profession, technically. Um, it's a bizarre one now because I've, I've still got those plans. They've just been put on a shelf and they're just sitting there now waiting to be, uh, not sitting there waiting to be accomplished. But um, this year in particular, I, I did multiple uh, training sessions to prepare me for a, a shot at the Everest in world, world record. And people keep telling me, you know, you better do it soon because it's going to get really, really like hard to do it. And I'm sitting here going, well, of course it's going to get hard. It's a world record. Like it's not going to be easy to break it anyway. It doesn't matter what level um, it settles at. But I did a couple of those sessions. Uh, I feel confident that, you know, with the right preparation, equipment, everything, I could, I, it's a perfect, if there was ever a challenge for me that fitted me quite well, endurance and climbing, um, then that's it. But the the British Hill Climb Championships that I won in 2019, that would be my um, that that would be my YouTube series that I'm probably most proud of to date. Um, it, for those who don't know, it basically documents much like I'm doing now um, the build up probably about a month out from that. Uh, championships on uh, Hato, uh, a climb in in south of England, and um, it, it kind of shows well, it shows what you expected to show really, like the training sessions, what I eat, what I worry about the most, um, you know, what gets me going. Um, and there's a couple of videos, as you probably expect, a couple of days out where I'm actually questioning myself, um, uh, and then I go and win. Uh, and it all kind of comes to a head in that one video right at the end. And obviously, as you'd expect, that one video has done better than any of those videos in the series. Um, but for the people who followed the series uh, and watched every video, you know, they, they got like a piece or, or, or they got a piece of that trophy or that medal um, because they came for, for the whole for the whole journey. And, and in some ways, I'm doing the same now, but but this year's hill climb championships is is a lot, uh, a lot different. You know, Hato was 11 minutes 37 seconds. I think I did it in. This one is estimated to be around three minutes, and so the preparation for for it is completely different. 
And so I'm taking, I'm, I'm taking the videos through that. Um, you know, it's a bit of trial and error. It's a bit of learning along the way. Um, you know, what I do is not always right, I don't think. And um, it's important for people to, to see that because often, you know, I'm guilty of it. I look on Strava and I see, you know, some of the faster guys doing, you know, taking KOMs left, right and centre on. Um, on on certain hills, and I sit back and I think, you know, well, what am I even trying to do here? I'm, I'm trying to like, I don't think I can even win the event, but I'm going to give it like a pretty good try. Like, um, but but always looking at other people's stuff is is sometimes difficult, especially when you know that you're not very good at it. Um, but I've I've certainly got some plans. Uh, Going forward into next year, um, I've always had the Sakalobra KOM on my list um, of, of things to test myself on. Most of them are, are, are ways of testing my own capabilities rather than trying to take a scalp. Um, it's, it's never about pushing yourself against other people. I mean, it is in a race, but I always see it as pushing yourself it's why i got into this sport rather than just doing like football or something and that's not to put down football because i absolutely loved it and i still do but cycling was a sport where i thought you can like put yourself in a room much like a lot of people do with zwift nowadays you have nobody there watching you and you just grind it out and you do the work and what you put in you get back and you know although cycling is a team sport i feel like it's very individual you know if you don't put the work in then you, you know you're not going to be the best sort of thing so yeah there's a couple of performance goals in there but um i'm trying to keep it fun as well to keep people interested in what i what i do <laughs> You mentioned in, in one of your blogs in the earlier parts of the series, this, this is the first year you're actually fully focusing on the Hill Climbing Championship as a, you know, a number one goal. You've already mentioned how the climbs are very different um, in tw from 2019 when you won. It's a, a lot shorter climb. How has your preparation maybe changed compared to maybe 2019 when maybe it wasn't your full focus? Is, is there anything you are doing differently or is it much the same? You're just, you know, being more disciplined and you're approaching it with more focus. I think uh, in 2019, it was always at the back of my mind that um, there, there were lots of whispers and rumours that the climb was going to suit me down to the ground, but you never know who can turn up on the day. Um, Paul, Paul, who actually, Paul Double, who, who turned up, uh, who'd been racing on the continental circuit all year, he turned up and came second. And it was a very, very close battle. But the, I came out of the Tour of Britain, funny enough, in 2019. That was my first and only time racing the Tour of Britain. And the day after the tour finished, because it was in Manchester, I decided to do the Cat and Fiddle Hill climb. Um, and I actually set my best ever 20 minute power, which is still to this day never been beaten. And that was nine days, uh, technically, into a stage race, if you count the eight days of the tour written prior to that. Um, which, more than anything, opened my eyes to what I was capable of doing. Um, but that laid. I think riding the Tour of Britain played a massive part in my in my form for the Nationals, which was about five weeks after that finished. Now, 
this time around, uh, obviously the climb is completely different. And my preparation is completely different. Obviously there's no tour of Britain, but um, it's funny how, you know, cycling is one of these things where, you know, you can do the same thing over and over again and it actually does work. Um, but one thing I've really implemented quite well is like Zwift racing. Um, I can feel people shuddering on the other side when they hear that, but like it, it's, it is, uh, it's almost like I see it as a competitive edge in a way, because especially when I live stream it, I'm in front of people. Um, I'm very thankful to, to bring in a bit of a crowd when, when I live stream, I sometimes get about 200 people who watch me live racing on Zwift. Um, but it, it brings that feeling of pressure in a way. Uh, and it, it's probably strange for people to hear, but you know, when you're doing a race on Zwift, if you're not doing those things, then it's just, it's just a bike. It's just a race. It's not even a real bike race. It's just a virtual race. But when you pull in these things like 200 people watching you and, you know, they can hear what you're saying and they can hear your excuses or, you know, they're watching every attack you put in. Um, I always see it as like, it's like a dry run um, for, you know, when I'm in front of maybe 200 people on Willets Pass, when the Nationals are. And those are, you know, we don't count those in our training sort of thing. It's training has often become like this methodical, focused, goal-orientated, you know, power numbers, this, power numbers, that. And sometimes we forget about like the little things that can actually give you like quite a big advantage. Like the, the interval sessions that I've been doing, I've just started doing, I can already feel a benefit from them, but I've not done a test to, to see if they have actually made a difference yet. Um, I know that the interval sessions that I'm doing, they can bring uh, lots of gains very quickly. Um, and being that I don't do this sort of training. You know, we're talking sub three minute efforts um, and virtually close to maximal. If I don't do them very often, um, it is more than likely that I'll improve quite quickly. Um, but through prior testing to this, I don't think I need to improve massively, physically, to be in with a shout of getting a top 10. So I'm optimistic. <laughs> As we already mentioned, when it's past is a, a shorter climb. It's that three to four minute effort. And you, you mentioned how endurance is more of your strong point. How do you feel that reflects in your ability to perform on the day and where you, you might end up at the finish? Well, my prediction of a top 10, you know, let's say we put a number, right? Let's say the winner does it in three minutes flat. Um, I think the top 10 is probably going to be spread by maybe 10 seconds. Um, so r really, if we're going to put it into, into, into watts or watts per kilo or whatever it is, or even speed, um, because at the end of the day, uh, it, it, it's still the fastest person or the guy with the fastest average speed, highest average speed is still the winner. Um, you know, the difference is going to be marginal if it's 10 seconds between the top 10. So if I can screw up the top 10, that would be like winning it for me. Uh, the reason why I say that is because I, I, I believe, uh, you know, that 
the British hill climb scene is 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 very is very good at being a community. They're very good at including people. Um, hats off to them. Like they've, they've, I've I've not met. It's not like the road racing community. It's not like the time trial community. Nothing against those communities. I've competed against you know competed in those communities, but hill climb community is very very welcoming. Um, and what I think they do very often is they love using famous climbs, but they also love using climbs with like a, a history or at least put it this way, the shorter climbs allow closer fight. Um, but they also allow people who have a full-time job uh, or, you know, very little time to, to train for them. You know, you don't need 20 hours a week then or whatever to train for a, two or three minute hill um it, it can help uh, in certain respects but you don't need it so i uh, the hay tour win so when i won in 2019 it was very much like an outlier you know it's very unusual that they get a long climb um and to me that's not even long like 11 minutes uh it's still <laughs> i'm still only just about getting into the effort but um but in terms of uh why i think a top 10 would be the equivalent of winning is that there's in my eyes there's nobody in that top 10 or, or the usual top 10 who would potentially compete with me over a longer climb um you know i, I because of my background because of my you know i'm taking a wild card out of it so if a wild card turned up say like matt holmes you know if he turns up that, that's a wild card you know obviously you know, he's, he could beat me and, and I'd still be, you know, he could, he could push me on a longer climb. Uh, and he has done because I've raced against him. But, um, but what I'm trying to get at is uh, it would be a big accomplishment if I could keep up with guys who are, are very good at the short durations. But then just as every, every athlete has a natural drop-off somewhere, uh, a lot of these people will have a, a natural drop-off of that kind of once they get to like 10 minutes 15 minutes they tend to drop off and the the numbers aren't so kind of spectacular it's still great still better than average but not spectacular and you know i think i'm kind of tilted towards the other end i'm, I'm very good there but not so good there so if i can bring it up there and i and i get a, a goodish result top 10 then to me i i'd be happy to be honest um i'd still obviously want to win but i have to be realistic when i like line up against some of the best in in, in the country i i also think as well like it's one of those things hill climbing where it's it's probably equipment is not as important as it is in time trialing but it is still very important uh you know you need if you're going to be in the top 10 and you're on a, a six kilo bike you know, still most of those people in the top 10 are on a five to five and a half kilo bike. Um, the longer the climb is, the less the bike weight matters and the more the rider matters um, because obviously it's a longer effort. So you, you're spending more time on that bike. So, um, so yeah, everything needs to be optimized. And I assume you've climbed it before. You've not climbed it before. <laughs> Yeah, oh. <laughs> uh, Ed was someone's... shaking his head when 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 I uh, when I asked him that. Okay, well, I mean, I suppose that makes this question more prevalent. I mean, will you do a recce? 
Will you go out and climb it before or will you say, do you go out and do a full race day simulation or is it something that you're prepared to, in your warm up, you go up, you see what it's like and just take it as it is? I got in touch with a good friend and he sent me some GoPro footage of, of the climb. Unfortunately, he was running behind somebody else. So I've got kind of half, half somebody's behind and half of the road. So I am going to have to ride it beforehand. Otherwise, I'll be half expecting to be riding behind somebody the whole way up. Um, but there's a hill climb second week, third week of October, I think, Mamnick or uh, Jackson Bridge, all kind of in that area, I suppose, um, give or take. Uh, I might come up to do one of those, and uh, some somebody suggested that, well, since you're in the area, why don't you do uh, when it's pass? And I said, oh, that's a good idea. And then they said, no, let me finish. Use it as your warm-up. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's, that's typical. They obviously know me well. Um, there, there has been some joke, although I don't know how serious the joke is um, that I should do a Zwift race before I do the national championship, just purely because of that effort. Um, because I've done Zwift races of say half an hour in length and they finished with a uh, one and a half, two minute hill at the end. And I've done some of the best power numbers after that 30 minutes of racing. So, it's a strange one. I could do that or I could just do some jumping jacks on the start line and a couple of press-ups and I don't know, maybe maybe I could psych a couple of people at the same time. <laughs> if not you, obviously, who do you think is going to win? Tom Bell. I think the thing is with Tom is uh, everyone loves everyone loves like an underdog um, a little bit. He's, he's not an underdog, you know, to be fair to him. He's he wins. He's very, very good. But whenever he goes up against Andrew Feather, he loses. Um, or until this date, this fifteenth of September, recording this, he might have won. <laughs> he might have won between now and then. But um, I was gutted in a way when obviously I couldn't compete last year, pandemic and everything. But he lost by a second. Um, some people listening now maybe don't know the hill climbing scene as well. But you don't have to wear a helmet if you don't want to. Um, it's not compulsory. Um, Tom, you know, wore a helmet for the National Climb Championship, two-minute hill, um, and he lost by a second. And if the, it's those if-but moments, you know, and, you know, he might still have lost by 0.2 of a second, but it, it's one of those things. And I'm not, I'm not saying to Tom, you know, just not ride with a, don't ride with a helmet, but um, he's definitely got the ability, uh, particularly on the short ones. And it's not just Tom, you know, there's, there's probably around five, six riders. I mean, like I said, that top 10 is going to be squished. It could be quite a few riders who could, you know, you look at, you know, I saw a statistic the other day, Andrew Feather has only lost two races uh, in something like three years, uh, two hill climbs, one of them being the nationals that I won. Um, but I wasn't the only one to beat him that day. He came, I think, 11th. So 10 people beat him. And that came out of nowhere. Like he had a, com I, I think he said himself, it was a you know, completely off day. And that can happen anytime. If it happens on nationals day, I mean, that could be your whole season ruined, obviously. So it could happen to anybody. 
Um, likewise, it could happen the other way. I could have an absolutely amazing day and I could win. So <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Ed, obviously, for having a chat to us today. And obviously, best of luck next month for the uh, championship. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to catch up with you on the day and get a, a quick sound bite to how you how you got on. Um, but just so people can you know, see your build up, where can they find you? Where can they find your, your vlogs in the build up to the championship? Yeah, you can just search me on YouTube. Uh, simply my name, Ed Lavrak. Um, but uh, I also, well, I'm also quite active on Instagram. And uh, yeah, my Instagram handle is exactly the same. So um, yeah, come out, hang out, chat, and uh, keep me occupied while I've got my feet up between training sessions. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, we'll see you soon, Ed. Cheers, Tom. Once again, thanks to Ed for chatting to us. As he mentioned, you can catch him on various social media channels and YouTube as Ed Lavrak. Since we chatted, Ed's preparation has been going from strength to strength, setting two and a half, five and six minute power records, as well as winning the majority of hill climbs he has entered this season. Hopefully we can catch up with Ed on the day to see how his race went. Tune in next week for our final episode on the hill climbing championships as dispatches from race day. I'll be on the climb all morning on Sunday and will be giving you a full race recap as well as hopefully several of the main protagonists of the day. As usual, you can catch me on at Reardu Peloton on Twitter and I'll see you next week, Quicklinkers. You've been listening to Quicklink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news and results. You can find us across social media at Quicklink Pod or you can contact us by emailing show at quicklinksports.com. You can support this show by using the code QUICKLINK when you shop with veloskin.cc for all your chamois cream and skincare needs and also at efswheels.com where UK customers can get themselves a full set of tubeless-ready full-carbon wheels for under £500. Share the show, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Bye now.